Good morning, y'all. If you don't know me, my name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point. There's a pin on this that's going to distract. I'm just going to throw that over there. (laughs) My name's Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point. If you are new or newer with us, we've been in a series that we're calling Upside Down for the past few weeks. And in this series, we are reading through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches to his followers on the side of a mountain. And up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has spoken specifically about what his kingdom would look like on this planet during this lifetime. There's been a lot of, well, the world acts like this, but my followers will live like this. That's why the series is called Upside Down. It's because Jesus is explaining how his followers are called to live these countercultural lives, that we're called to live differently, we're called to love differently, that we are supposed to be perceiving the world differently, relating to God differently. In this life, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we get to live these lives differently. But in this passage that we're about to read, Jesus is about to pivot a little bit, and he's going to start talking about one of his favorite things to talk about. Jesus is going to start talking about eternity. Jesus is about to turn our attention away from the physical world, and he's going to try to get us to set our eyes on the spiritual world. And so are you guys up for getting a little extra spiritual-like this morning? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, but uh, let's pray before we get into it. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done on the cross. And I know that right now the last thing that this room needs is just another talk from me, God. And so I pray that you're speaking directly to our hearts through your words and through anything that I share this morning. We need you, God. And so just be present with us in this place and allow us to see you clearly for who you really are. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of us who are Jesus followers, veteran seasoned Jesus followers, can we just lead the charge and be up front before we even crack open the text this morning Can we be honest and admit that keeping Jesus on the throne in your heart is a difficult thing to do? Can we just be honest about that? Can we admit that even if not all the time, but honestly for me it is all the time, can we admit that we have a problem when it comes to putting God first? And at this point you're either judging me or relating to me, so let's just get even more honest. Has anyone else ever asked God to help you want him more? Because although you want to want him, you find your heart distracted with other things. Like, God, I don't know what's wrong with me. I want to want you, but my attention and my desires are somewhere else. God, God, can you make me a person who wants to read the Bible? Because honestly, I have no motivation to do that. God, could you make me a person who wants to spend time with you? Because honestly, I'd rather just binge Netflix. Like, God, I want to want you, so why isn't my heart in it. Can you help me to want you the way that I know I should be wanting you? Isn't that so annoying? Like, I've been a believer for more than half my life. I feel like I should be better at wanting God. And it's so frustrating. And I think the reason why it's so frustrating is because as Jesus followers, for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, we've caught a glimpse of his majesty. Right? We've experienced the overwhelming fulfillment and satisfaction of his grace. We've been given this new identity and this new hope. And because of these things, for most Jesus followers, we do have a deep-rooted desire to make God our number one priority. We have a deep-rooted desire to not give our heart and our attention and our devotion to all these other things. We desire for God to sit on the throne in our hearts. But the truth is, if we'll admit it, 
we frequently find ourselves doing the opposite of what we want to do. We have an entire internal desire to put him first, but it's actually few and far between when we actually do it. So what's wrong with us? There's a lot wrong with me, but what's wrong with us? And how can we fix this desire issue that exists inside of us? So let's go to Matthew, Jesus' teaching. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. One more time, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And I want to pause here because Jesus just told us why he's going to turn our attention away from the things of this world and towards eternal things. What's the harsh truth about the things of this world? Well, the truth is everything you possess and everything you are currently chasing in this life is going to end up in one of two places. It's going to end up in a junkyard or a graveyard someday. That's the harsh truth. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how much you love it. It doesn't matter how much you try to preserve it. It doesn't matter what kind of protective shield you try to put around it. Everything in your possession and everything you are currently chasing is going to be thrown out and forgotten about one day. It'll either deteriorate or it'll become obsolete and useless or someone will steal it from you and it'll deteriorate in their hands. But either way, at the end of the day, At the end of time, even the most precious things in this life will be completely useless. That old flip phone that used to be your entire life, where's that thing now? (laughs) Everything has a shelf life, right? I mean, think about it. There was a day when someone saved up money to buy this house. There was likely the sound of little feet pattering on the floor of this house. Families likely shared meals around the dinner table this house. This house at one point was someone's entire life, and now look at it. It's, it's just trash. All the stuff you own will become this someday. What's crazier is all the stuff you're saving up to buy or going into debt to obtain or building up in your head about they're going to make your life so much better. They're all going to be this someday. Well, what about people? Well, what about them? Do we want to be honest? You and the people you love? Just a matter of time. We're all dying slowly. We're all falling apart. The Bible says in James that this life is a mist. We're here for a little time and then we vanish. We're here today, gone tomorrow. And if you don't believe me and you're young, just wait. Your body will testify to you that it's true. (laughs) Boy, I used to be indestructible. Get hit by a car, probably walk it off. I'm approaching my mid-30s now. My body is letting me know. I'll just get random injuries and not even know why. Like, what's going on with my back? Like, what I do to my back? My wife's like, well, what were you doing? Just pouring a bowl of cereal. I don't... (laughs) These milk jugs, you got to be careful how you pick them up, man. You might throw your back out. And you guys can trust me on this. There are some people in this room right now who are further along in life than me and saying (laughs) mid-30s. Boy, you haven't seen anything yet. So even... Our bodies are a constant, visible reminder that everything is in the process of passing away. Everything ends up in the junkyard or graveyard. Pretty depressing, right? Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. Second Corinthians says, So we do not lose heart. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Almost as if to say that there's more going on in this life than what meets the eye. There's more going on than what you can just observe with your senses. It says, for this light momentary affliction 
is preparing us for an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison. Catch this. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You may know this already, but if not, I just want to remind you, did you know that you're not just your body? You're not just your body. You're not just this thing that you can see right here, right now. In actuality, all around us and within us, there's a whole slew of other things going on that we can't see, spiritual things. You may not be aware of it, but it's true, and this is where it gets super spiritual, because here's the thing, you have a body, but then you have a soul. And the thing is, your body and your soul, they travel together for now, but they're not the same. And before you gave your life to Jesus, before you gave your life to Jesus, your soul was just this dead passenger inside your body. It was dead. It was unaware. It just did whatever your body did. Think weekend at Bernie's. Like your soul was literally this lifeless slave that your body had to carry around to do whatever your body wanted to do. You were dead. That's what it means in Ephesians when it says this. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. Following the course of this world, doing what everyone else did. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, a slave to our body, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, a slave to our body, and we're, and we're by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So before Jesus, your soul, dead. Lifeless passenger traveling with your body, living in the passions of the flesh, the lights were off. And then you meet Jesus, and what happens? It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So you were dead, lifeless passenger. Body steered the ship, soul just lifelessly along for the ride. And then you say yes to Jesus, and wham! Like, hello, not only do I have a soul, but it's now alive and suddenly aware of the ways in which this corrupt body has been killing me. But not anymore. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I what? I see. I once was dead, but now Jesus has brought me to life. This is the story of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Then what happened? Because God didn't stop there. Well, not only did God bring you to life, but then he took his spirit and he stuck it down inside of you. Ephesians 1 says, in him you also, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, when he brought you to life, were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so you go from lifeless passenger to wide awake and filled with the Spirit of God. And for those of us who have experienced this, it is something else, man. End of story, right? Wrong. Well, now what? Well, from now until the day you die, there is a war going on inside of you. A literal war. And on one side, you have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is trying to help you treasure Jesus. And then on the other side, you have your earthly body and dark forces, which we'll refer to as the enemy, and they are trying to get you to literally treasure anything else. I know it's crazy, but it's true. 
That's why the Bible says our fight isn't against flesh and blood, but rather spiritual forces of evil. And when Christians hear this, they think that means we're supposed to go out and wage war with the darkness in the world. No, friend, it means you're supposed to let Jesus go to war with the darkness inside you. And so the Holy Spirit and the enemy are constantly at war, constantly trying to help you decide what you're going to treasure. Back to Matthew. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So why are the Holy Spirit and the enemy at war over what you treasure? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure is directly connected to your heart. And while the Holy Spirit wants to set your heart on Jesus and eternal things, well, the enemy wants you to set your heart on all those things we talked about are passing away with the rest of the world. Well, how do I know what I treasure? I might treasure Jesus and not even know it. How do I know where my treasure lies? And that's a good question. And actually, it's pretty easy to discern. Here's how you know what you treasure. Here's how you know. What do you do on a daily basis? What does your life look like? What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your money on? What's the most frequent thing you do on your phone? How's that screen time looking, church? How do you relate to people? How do you treat people? How do you treat yourself? What do you spend your time talking about? What do you spend your time posting about? When you're up late at night, what is it you do and think about? When you're up before your family in the morning, what are you doing? Look at what you do on a daily basis, and that's a pretty good litmus test to uncover exactly where your treasure is. And so how do we fight? How do we fight to make sure that our treasure is in the eternal things of God and not the transient things of the world? How do we go to war? Where does the war start? Back to Matthew. It says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The eye is the lamp of the body. What's that mean? It means that what you spend your time consuming and doing will directly influence your desires and what you treasure. You see, you don't simply decide what you treasure. That's not even up to you directly. Rather, it is what you feed your soul that controls what you treasure. And you may not be aware of this, but you are constantly deciding what you feed your soul. And you feed your soul through the things that you watch, through the things that you listen to, through the things that you read, through the things that you touch. And although you have this Holy Spirit inside of you, you have to give Him opportunities to feed your soul. You have to give the Holy Spirit opportunities to testify to you. And then at the same time, the Bible says to guard your heart and to flee temptation and to not pursue worldly things. Why? Well, because when you spend your time on worldly things, you are slamming the door on the Holy Spirit and His attempts to get your attention on Jesus. And then you're opening the world, you're opening your door to the world and giving it permission to start controlling your desires and what you treasure. And listen, man, the world is more than happy to begin feeding your soul and manipulating your desires. You see, the door is slammed 
on the Holy Spirit, but it's wide open to social media, and it's wide open to porn, and it's wide open to drug and alcohol abuse. It's wide open to this constant message of real freedoms, being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. Your door's wide open to this message of you do you. You're perfect just as you are. Your heart is wide open to this message of you're the savior of your own life. Don't let anyone tell you any different. And the world is just feeding you and feeding you and feeding you while you are simultaneously holding the door closed on the Holy Spirit. Let the world have full access to your heart. Maybe crack this door open on Sundays. Oh my gosh, wow, that's amazing. Closed the rest of the week. And then we have the audacity to wonder, what's wrong with us? Why don't we desire God the way we want to? Like, do we really not know or are we just too embarrassed to admit it? The reason we don't treasure God is because we give him barely any access to our souls. And the reason I know that we give him barely any access to our soul is because if we were opening the door to him, he would be rushing in and rearranging our hearts and our desires back to where they belong. What's Jesus say? Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Let me in. You're broken. Your focus is in the wrong place, but if you just let me in, I'll come in and I can help. I can get your heart back in the right place. I stand at the door and knock. And what do we say, Jesus? I'll get to you when I get to you. I currently have other guests right now. What you look at, what you touch, what you listen to, that shapes you into who you are. Well, I can watch and look at and listen to worldly things and it doesn't affect me. Like, I'm strong in my faith. It's not going to bother me. Sure. And I can eat pizza and cake all week and throw in a carrot stick once in a while and I won't get fat. Right? Amen. I wish. You see, the reason you have an appetite for worldly things is because you've built for yourself a diet that consists of mostly worldly things. You want to shift your desires? Immerse yourself in the things of God. Cut the world off a little bit. Start opening this door up. Stop conforming to the patterns of this world. Step out of the kiddie pool of transient worldly garbage and dive headfirst into the ocean of eternal glory that is Jesus Christ. I'm talking like full-blown cannonball into the things of God. Serious. That's how you shift your desires. You feed your soul the things of God. How do you feed your soul the things of God? Well, you can start by reading the Bible. I mean, most Americans, most American Christians, very few actually spend any time reading the Bible, and the Bible's foundational. Not an avid reader, don't know where to start? Then you could just start by simply immersing yourself in worship music. You know, good worship music is always rooted in Scripture. It'll testify to you. So if you're cooking dinner, driving to work, folding laundry, whatever it is you're doing, put on worship music. Or put on an audio Bible and let the truths about who God is and what he's done and the way that he loves you and what all of it means, just let those words be singing or speaking into your ears and into your life all the time. You can't tell me that won't make a difference. I love how Job in the Old Testament, Job in the midst of this great suffering, he says this, he says, I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. 
Job lost everything. If you don't know his story, he lost all his possessions. He lost all his family. He had literally nothing. And how does Job respond? He says, consuming God's word is more important to me than eating food. Get in the word. That's one way to feed your soul. How else? Well, go outside and get, get away from the world. Spend some time in nature. Start observing the beauty of creation. Drink that in. It will testify to you. It says in Romans, it says, for his invisible attributes, God, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God is in creation. Go take a walk. Go take a hike. I used to think someone telling me to take a hike was a bad thing. It turns out it's spiritual advice. <laughs> Girls throw rocks in the ocean. Man, put your phone down. Get away from people for a little bit. Nature is eager to testify to you about the creator. Feed your soul. How else do you feed your soul? Well, start spending time with people who love Jesus. Not all your time with people who could care less about him. Spend time with believers that will call you out on your junk and push you towards God. Get plugged into a community, whether it's here or somewhere else. Like, dig in some roots with people. Build some relationships with people. Spend time around people who are crazy about Jesus. It says in Hebrews, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Did you know sometimes you need people to stir you up to love and good work? Sometimes you need other people to speak into your life and point you back towards God. And so your circle matters. Community matters. The people you spend time with matter. Make sure you're spending time with the right ones. Feed your soul. And then how else? Serve, man, serve. And it doesn't have to be at church. It could be anywhere. You want to start to get to know the heart of God? Start giving your life to other people. That's the heart of God. Start serving and giving time and money and energy to people. Your heart will begin to change. It'll feed your soul. And then as you do all these things, reading scripture and getting outside and getting it with communities of believers and giving your life away to other people, as you do all these things, God will reveal, begin to reveal himself more and more. That's why it says in Jeremiah, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Can you honestly say you're seeking with all your heart? The Bible says, I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and the places from which I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You see, Jeremiah was writing to this group of Israelites who'd been banished from their homeland, but as a prophet, Jeremiah also has a message from God to us. God says, when you start immersing yourself in me, I'll capture your heart. You won't need to bend your own desires. I'll change your desires. When you start catching little moments of my beauty and my power, when you start peeling back the layers of love that I have for you, and that fuzzy picture you have for me begins to come into focus, man, it'll change your desires. When you stop feeding your soul junk and start feeding your soul me, like what you treasure, it'll change. My favorite line from any worship song ever comes from this old hymn that talks about this exact phenomenon of God changing our desires. And the words say this. The words say, 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. The things that used to fulfill me, well, they don't fulfill me anymore. The things that I used to count as treasure, I now recognize as transient garbage. The things that used to have this vice grip on my attention, well, now they are starting to completely lose their appeal because I've officially spent too much time with Jesus Christ and his goodness and his grace is just too rich and fulfilling to ever go back to starving off the scraps that the world tries to offer me. He's made himself the desire of my heart. He wants to make himself the desire of your heart. And see, I don't, I don't know if we really understand how important the desire of your heart is. I don't know if we really understand how important what you treasure is. You know, when, when we think about the wrath of God, when we think about the wrath of God, I, I think we frequently picture God like smiting or punishing people who don't love him. Like, if you don't love me, I will make your life miserable until you do love me. But you see, you can look around and see plenty of people who don't love God and don't appear to be living miserable lives. And so what does God's wrath really look like? Well, the wrath of God is connected directly to the desire of your heart. The wrath of God is connected directly to your treasure. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 1, and I swear this sends chills up my spine every time I read it. It says this in Romans. It says, For although they knew God, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And listen to this. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they laid up for themselves treasures on earth. They laid up for themselves treasures, things that are transient, that are headed towards the junkyard and the graveyard. And so what did God do, right? He crushed them, right? He smited him, right? No, what did God do? How did he respond? It says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Did you hear it? The wrath of God it says God gave them up. God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts. The things that they desired, he handed them over to those things. You see, he didn't give up on them. He'd always been there for them, but when they, their treasure changed, when their hearts changed, he handed them over. He let them walk away. He said, you want the things of the world? You can have them. See, the wrath of God isn't punishing or torturing or smiting you. The wrath of God is letting you have exactly what you want. And that means if he is the desire of your heart, if you stored up your treasures in heaven, if he's your treasure, then he'll meet you and he'll fulfill you and he'll hold you up with his mighty right hand. You'll be his and he'll be yours and that's forever. But you see, if he isn't the desire of your heart, he's going to let you go. He won't abandon you. He won't stop pursuing you. He'll send little people and music and images and nature and these other little love letters to remind you, like, I'm still here. I still love you. 
But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you want to build your life around transient things, he's going to let you chase them until eventually those treasures are going to turn to ashes in your hands. So you see where your treasure is, is of the utmost importance because your treasure reveals where your heart is and then your heart reveals where your faith is and where your faith is is extremely important because it is only faith in Jesus Christ that delivers and fulfills and saves and faith in anything else leads to a handful of ashes. So where's your treasure? Because the thing is, there's no like on the fence. There's no straddling the line. It's either Jesus or it's not. He's either Lord over all of your life or he's Lord over nothing. And the thing is, we think that we can do both. We think we, we can. We try to. We think we can emphasize the things of the world. We think we can constantly keep this door open, just cracking this one every once in a while. I can let the Holy Spirit and the world both feed me. We think we can make God an add-on to our life. We think it's all right if God plays a supplementary role in our life. We try to have both. But non-coincidentally, Jesus addresses that too. He says at the end of this Matthew passage, he says, no one can serve two masters. You can't. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is not just about money. Jesus says you have to make a choice. Everyone makes a choice. You either invest your life in the transient things of God or you, or you invest your life in the transient things of the world that are headed to the junkyard or the graveyard or you invest your life in something that lasts forever. I saw this pastor use this illustration once and it stuck with me and so I'm going to use it with you guys. Now I want you to imagine this rope. I want you to imagine this rope just goes on forever. Right, so this is headed east, so I want you to imagine this rope headed down 95, and it goes through Massachusetts, it starts crossing the Atlantic Ocean, and then eventually it goes off the side of the Earth, and it starts moving through the solar system. It goes past Mars, asteroid belt, Saturn, Jupiter, the whole thing, out of our solar system, out of our galaxy, across the known universe, endless. Now I want you to think of this never-ending rope as a timeline for your existence. You see, you're going to last forever. You're going to live forever. And, and this little red part right here, this little red part represents your time in this life. You know, some of us are here, some of us are here. But here's the thing. You're going to spend a little time here, and then you're going to spend eternity somewhere else. And the thing is, some of us get so obsessed over this part, and we never think about all of this. We get obsessed, we're like, if I just work hard enough and I just save up enough money like during these parts and I'm a good person, then like for this last little bit, like I can enjoy my life and live large. And it's like, that's all well and good, but what are you investing in all of this? What are you doing to impact all of this? Because the thing is, the way you live in this little portion, that affects all of this. And the things that you treasure in this portion, that affects directly how you're going to exist during all of this. And I just don't want us getting so caught up in this that we forget that this even exists. I don't want to become so 
obsessed with this that I give away all of this. I don't want to treasure things in this life that are going to cost me for all of this. The part that lasts forever. See, the Bible says, what's it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? What's it profit a man to obsess over this and give away all of this? And so, accept this invitation to take a real look inside yourself and figure out which part of this rope your treasure's in because it's not in both. And you can't invest in both at the same time. You can't be obsessed with both at the same time. You can't straddle the line. You can't sit on the fence. You can't keep both doors open. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you would die on a cross so that I can have an opportunity at real treasure that lasts forever. That I don't have to put my faith in things that are just passing away. And not only when I put my faith in you when you're my treasure, not only does that affect where I spend eternity, but it fulfills me in this life. And when I treasure you, Jesus, it makes me better in this life. I'm a better husband, I'm a better parent, I'm a better friend, I'm a better son, I'm a better brother because I I understand that I have all I need in you and so I can love freely. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit is sitting heavy on this room right now and allowing us to really evaluate where our treasure is, where our heart is, because it's so important. God, and I pray that every person in this room, wherever they are, that they get a clear sense of where they are and how they can respond in this moment. Jesus, I confess my own shortcomings time and time again with this. I know that I don't desire you always the way that I want to, but God, I pray you give me the wisdom and the strength to pursue you the way that I need to. So I can experience your fulfillment in this life and then for eternity in the next one. In Jesus' name, amen.